Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin, except no sandwiches. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to a midweek edition of Achtung Millwall. My name is Nick Hart. This is, of course, the number one Millwall podcast. And this is a special request edition, dear listeners. And I feel like a bit like um, Ed Stewpot or something like that. Um, DJs of old doing requests. This is a special request from Dave Sullivan, who is a very well-known Millwall historian. So um, when Dave asks me to do something... I am privileged to be able to try and do my best, at least, to fulfil his request. So we had an email um, from Dave, um, who's a a lover of the random fixture shows that we do. And I know quite a few people do enjoy them. So this is going to be another random fixture, not one chosen at random by the, the dead hand of the digital algorithm, dear listeners. This is actually one upon request from Dave. Um, now, Dave emails me, wishing me a happy new year, and by default to you too out there, dear listeners, um, be suggesting a game for me to do a random fixture spot on. Um, now, it's a long while ago. Um, the match is intriguing, Dave, as he puts it. It's a Western League encounter at Portsmouth, dated the 5th of March, 1902. So what's that? That's over 100 and nearly 120 years ago, 119 years ago. Um this is a, a, a bit of a shellacking for the Dockers, as we would have been then, Mill Athletic. Portsmouth 9, Millwall 1. And what interests Dave is the reasons, or are the reasons, for such a heavy defeat. Could it be a number of injuries, sendings off, or was it that Millwall just completely outplayed? Um, perhaps you can include this disaster in a future podcast. All the best, Dave. A few questions arise, first of all, not least would be the Western League. Um, what is the Western League, or what was the Western League, and how did, how did Mill come to get thumped so comprehensively at at, uh, at Portsmouth? So it's probably just worth um, repeating the date, fifth of March, nineteen o two. So this is the nineteen o one to nineteen o two season. Now, as anyone who's followed these shows um, or listened to previous episodes will know. The year 1901 was uh, as close as Mills come historically to folding, to disappearing. Essentially, what had happened was that the, the, the Dockers were formed, playing pretty much on, on spare ground on the Isle of Dogs. 
And at the point of 1901, we were still playing at a place called the Athletic Ground, which was located nowadays next to Cross Harbour Station, where the Asda supermarket is on the island. That was land owned by the Dock Company that basically ruled the roost, called the shots on the Isle of Dogs at that time. And the Athletic Ground, sizeable stadium, 15 to 20,000, reputed capacity, was needed by the Dock Company. So the Lions had to uh, basically, give, they were given notice to quit, to, to move out at very short notice, it might be, might be added. And semi-miraculously, I think um, sometimes words like that can be overused. This was a, a man-made miracle. Not, not any kind of um, divine providence. Basically, members of the Millwall Athletic staff, football playing staff and club officials, found new land, now part of Millwall Park, which is down near Mudshoot Stadium, uh, Station. And there they formed a new, a new ground, a new stadium was put together at pretty much drop of a hat notice. Um, Elijah Moore was the main... Um, man behind the creation of the new ground that's what came to be called then North Greenwich that's not North Greenwich as we call it now on the south side of the water but the effect of, of this um, notice to quit and the near folding of Millwall Football Club led to a lot of players leaving the club no professionals these are, were working class men in need of employment and it looked highly likely that Millwall Athletic as successful as it had been as a club, Southern League champions in the 1890s twice, um, a, a, the Lions of the South, contenders um, you know, to be one of the biggest clubs in the country, arguably at this point, but it looked like it was going to fold and many players departed to ply their trade elsewhere. So it was not only a, 1901 was not only a, a, a physical um, crisis, it was a playing crisis as well because a good percentage of the first team left to to move on so we were left pretty much with a a brown a brand new ground just and a manic recruitment drive in the in the months between the 1900 to 01 and then the 1901 to 2 season um a, a team was formed a, a a miracles were 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 you know manifest across the club at that point and players were recruited to start the season at the North Greenwich ground, but I think it's fair to say that form in this 1901-02 season, after the near disaster of, of the summertime, was 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 patchy. Um, certainly, the opening fixtures in the three leagues that we we played in, we played in three different leagues plus cups, plus cup competitions, FA Cup, including. Uh, we played in the Southern League, where we, and incredibly, when you think about the the, the, the near death of the club. At this point, we, we finished a very creditable sixth in the table at the end of 1901-02. An amazing achievement. Um, we played in a, a reserve league called London League. Although I call it reserve, the, the large numbers of the first team played in, in the reserve league and in the Southern League. And indeed in the third competition, the one that concerns us today, the Western League. Now this was um, a, a secondary competition um, from the middle perspective you would think of it as a reserve team league, but it was it was again like the London League, mostly first team players playing in these three separate leagues, and we finished third in the London League this season, and fourth in the Western League. Now, what was the Western League? You're asking yourself. Well, the Western League, 
uh, still exists, strange as it might sound. It's now part of the wider football pyramid. It covers tiers, levels 9 and 10. So it feeds into the Southern League, which in turn feeds onto the uh, the National League. Um, but it still exists, the Western League. It's very much village football nowadays. But prior to the First World War, its champions included Bristol Rovers, um, Millwall in 1908-1909, Tottenham Hotspur, QPR, Swindon, and so on. Nowadays, very much village football. I'm just looking at the list of clubs in the in the current um, version of the Western League. You've got uh, village sides, Bridgewater Town, Bridport, Exmouth Town, and so on, Keensham Town, and so on. Very much uh, West, Western England, semi-village, um, you know, but it was founded in 1892, 129 years ago. It still exists as part of the of the non-league pyramid, which is which is quite something to to see, really. Um, the Western League for the Lions this season include Portsmouth, the the game in question, Portsmouth nine, Mill Athletic one. Uh, so this is in the second half of the season, fifth of March, 1902. I do have a match report, and it's from. A thing that's um, a concept that's kind of faded from in this in this internet age. This is from the Portsmouth Evening News, so this would be like a late a late edition. Um, this game would have kicked off in the afternoon, a Wednesday afternoon, I think it was, the fifth of March, nineteen oh two, and certainly the first half at least is covered by the Portsmouth Evening News. Now, um, as I say, they used to have classified editions. Anyone of a certain age, e.g., me. Will remember the um, the lack of football information. <laughs> if you missed the football scores on the telly or on the radio at five o'clock, um, it was actually quite hard to get to know scores at the end on on a Saturday. There just wasn't the amount of information available back then, and no easy way to get it other than a late edition uh, evening paper produced normally around six o'clock. That would be the final edition, and they sometimes would have the football scores in them, and sometimes. The Evening Standard or Evening News in London would have the beginnings of reports of games that had kicked off at three o'clock and could catch the print run. Now, this is what this is um, for the Portsmouth Evening News, dated the 5th of March, 1902. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of it because it's uh, Dave's question to me, which we must keep sight of, is why did Millwall get beat so heavily? And I'm not sure I'm going to give you an answer, but I'm going to give you some factors that go into into it, I think. So keep in mind this is only the first half. Uh, Portsmouth versus Millwall. These teams met for the fourth and last time of the season at Fratton Park this afternoon. Portsmouth resuming their Western League programme after a gap of a month since the last match was played. Uh, Portsmouth has twice beaten the Dockers in London and had effected a draw in the Southern League match at Portsmouth. Today, however, the locals were unable to place their ball... Their full, <laughs> sorry, the print's a bit... A bit wobbly. The locals are unable to place their full team in the field. So this is a weakened Portsmouth side. Keep that in mind. 9-1. A weakened Portsmouth side. And through this, their chance in the competition was to an extent jeopardised, says the Portsmouth Evening News. Um, absentees, including Smith, Beddingfield, Blythe. So some of their mainstays of their, of their side were not in the Portsmouth team on this occasion. Um, and it goes out of its way to stress that Millwall, by contrast were absolutely at full strength. Um, they then list the two teams. The Millwall team, um, in goal, Tiny Joyce, 
a huge figure in a huge character in your, your um, early history. Um, Halley and Dunn were two fullbacks. Then you've got what they called halfbacks back then, midfield stroke defensive midfielders, Morris Bell and Davis. Um, and then a forward line of Ormond, Watkins, Hulse, Hamilton, and it looks like Mayer, M-A-H-E-R. It might be M-A-B-E-R. The, the print is, is, is fuzzy, as I say. Um, weather, if you're interested, was quite spring-like and splendid. Splendid condition. And Portsmouth, having lost the toss, facing a brilliant sun, and it made a sensational start. So you have a full-strength Lions team playing a weakened Portsmouth side. We've won the toss, and that seems to be about the only thing we did win all afternoon. And we've set them the task of playing into a very bright sun. It's all going our way, dear listeners. Um, unfortunately, uh, the ball had hardly been get set going, says the evening news, when the, um, the right wing got away, and within a few seconds, Marshall had popped in a finely placed centre. So 1-0 to Portsmouth, pretty much from kick-off. Um, and so it goes on wave upon wave of Portsmouth attacks, a weakened side with players not previously known to each other, coming together to basically pull more apart. Half-time when this report finishes, this is the half-time score, it's Portsmouth 5 mill nil. Um, it would go on to be a 9-1 shellacking for the Lions, for the Dockers, I suppose you'd, you'd call it. Um, now, Dave's question is why and how and what went into this. And in truth, the only, the only answers, I can only speculate, Dave, to, to be honest with you, mate. I mean, going by that report there, there's absolutely no reason for Mill not to have fancied their chances in this particular fixture. As we've said a few times, Portsmouth were weakened. They were pulling in players that hadn't previously you know, played together. And the Mill side was at full strength. The season did go in fits and starts. Um, it had a traumatic start, clearly, with you know lack of um, lack of a ground, lack of a team at one point at the start. And looking at the form over the course of that 1901-02 season, um, our opening t- uh, nine games were just they're just two wins from nine and six losses from the opening eight games. Sorry. Um, then there's another run of form where we go, we win a few, and then we lose in another streak, and so on and so forth. So we did really well, it seems, to to finish in sixth position in the Southern League, and what did I say? It was fourth in the in the in the Western League. But it was a season built around um, streaks, win and losing streaks, and I think at this point. We're just in the middle of a of a losing streak. The the report there doesn't mention any sendings off. It doesn't highlight any particular injuries or players kind of leaving the pitch. It just highlights that Portsmouth played brilliantly in unlikely circumstances against a Mill team that will be should have been embarrassed by you know by by that that situation. So I'm not sure that we can give any reasons for it beyond the ones that we pointed out. But what I've done instead is picked out two names to. Um, players from that team too that I haven't um, previously touched upon to my knowledge in any of the the history shows that we've done I've picked out um, Watkins and Hulse Alf Watkins who was a striker um, 1879 to 1957 a Welsh international he was our top scorer in this particular season 1901 to 02 with 14 goals A.E. Watkins listed in the 
uh, the, the, the complete record, Richard Lindsay's complete record. Um, I think we've got Welsh, Welsh caps, five Welsh caps I read here. Signed from, he's played for Leicester in the past, Aston Villa, Grimsby, and then Millwall in 1901. Alf Watkins, 1879 to 1957. He died in a house fire, and I find this quite sad. And I wanted to mention this because a Welsh football international Score of goals in a number of clubs, including our, our own. Um, a player of some note, in my opinion. Um, and he passed away in a house fire, um, living his, his last days at age 79. This was in 1957. He passed away. Out, and there's just one report. It's a standard report. It's in a couple of papers, local papers. Um, five XM. Alfred Ernest Watkins, aged 79, died in a fire at a house in Lambourne Gardens, Barking, Essex, during the night. That's it. No clues to who Alfred Ernest Watkins was. And I would argue the amount of pleasure as a player that he would have brought to, to many, many fans from across the country and his own country in Wales. Um, so just one sentence. Um, I find that kind of sad. Um, the other striker I've picked out, it's Ben Hulse, um, a Liverpudlian, um, 1875 to 1950. Played for a team called Rock Ferry, which I think is a Liverpool side. Um, Blackburn Rovers, New Brighton Tower, which is a football ex-football league member club, now gone. Um, New Brighton Tower, I think is a seaside town on the, the suburbs of Liverpool, on the Welsh side of the coast, if memory serves. Correct me if I'm wrong, dear listeners. And then signed for Mill Athletic um, and Brighton. Um, now, we do have some appearance stats. We didn't have any for Alf Watkins, unfortunately, but I do have some appearance stats for Millwall for Ben Hall. 60 appearances for the, the Dockers. Scoring 35 goals, and that's a pretty good ratio, in my opinion. Um, he passed away in 1950 in his native Liverpool. I do have a photo of him, fantastic photo, with a fine moustache. And I will stick that online when this show goes out because I think it's worth, you know, it's, it's worth remembering these players from the past. Um, two players instrumental in the season where we survived following the trauma of uh, almost going out and folding. Ben Hulse and Alf Watkins. Now, this is a Portsmouth paper that I'm using to, to go by, dear listeners. And as you know, it is my want to always let my eye stray over other news and there's some military reports news of the second hampshire regiment fighting in fever valley which is in south africa this is the period of the boer war what's the boer war it was a i suppose nowadays in the modern context you call it a, an imperial war it was a, a conflict between the british south african colonies and the uh, the Dutch republics, the Boers, farmers of, of South Africa, had formed a couple of independent republics. And fundamentally, um, there was gold involved, the Kimberley Goldfields. Now, you can read many, many accounts of the Boer War, and this is not a podcast that particularly sets out to speak on historical matters, but I find these, these um, reports um, interesting. So the second hands are fighting in South Africa, at a place called Fever Valley, where they've been stationed for about 10 months, it says. Um, there's very little to be done, and the monotony and the heat are very trying. And elsewhere, there's, there's reports from the front, um, active service, 
the Hampshire Royal Engineers Volunteers. I mean, they're doing exceedingly good work. They've now been in the country over a year, but apparently there is but small chance of the section returning home for some little time yet. The Boer War was is an interesting conflict, if you ever take the time to, to look it up. Um, an initial rush of overconfidence on the part of the British and Empire troops led to some embarrassing losses initially. And if you look around London, look at street signs, road signs, you'll see a lot of Mather Kings, Mather King streets, roads, Kimberleys, um, Spion Cop, um, the, the cop, um, practically every club in the country had a the home end, the cop end, um, obviously the famous one in Liverpool, but you do still see them around. I think Sheffield Wednesday's um, home end is still called the Spear and the Cop, which was the site of a famous battle. It was, a, it was a war that initially at least didn't go well for the British. Um, the Boers scored some against the odds victories, thanks to some poor tactics and what we might call the advent of modern warfare in many respects. You can find elements of wasn't the first war to to feature trenches as as a, as a means of waging warfare, but certainly you do see trenches mentioned. The the change from um, traditional uniforms into khaki dust covered uniforms for you know for for uh, for cover. Uh, the term concentration camps, as the war began to turn in the favour of the of the British, um, South African farmers were rounded up into um, central collection points which came to be known by the um, the unfortunate term nowadays of concentration camps to literally concentrate the population behind wire uh, conditions very very poor for those people and in the end it, the, 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 the forces of um, Imperial Britain would, would prevail um, and um, the, there was a peace treaty signed in 1902 in actual fact but the war is still active as we look at this newspaper um, and alongside that, just one other piece that's just caught my eye as I'm speaking, smallpox epidemic in London, um, up to 70 people uh, dead from smallpox in London at the same time that you know, men were fighting in the front in South Africa um, and the Lions were getting beat in 9-1 at Fratton Park. There we are. So that's um, that's the request from Dave Sullivan for this particular fixture, Portsmouth Nine Mill One. A little bit of side history in there. I hope you like that. Um, pick my words carefully on some of that because obviously some of these issues are still highly, highly controversial to this day, um, and the war was fought for reasons that are complex. But invariably, it comes down to. To, to money, dear listeners, in the end, isn't it? Gold and diamonds. There we are. So that's the end of this particular random show. If you have any requests for any other fixtures in the past, do let me know. I'm happy to do a little bit of um, research. And as always, I'll probably you know, try off the, the beaten path once in a while. But for now, until the weekend, when we have FA Cup action against Boreham Wood, until the weekend, we'll be back with another show. It's... Signing off at the Dirty Millwall, dear listeners. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Aston Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. Over the Dirty Millwall. Till next time. Hold up. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to a new idea. I like new ideas, don't you, dear listeners? I am experimenting with a concept that I am loosely going to call Achtung Football. That is the idea that I have with the normal random fixture shows to basically select a date in the past and see what was in the newspapers at that point with a particular um, twist that we'll look at football and how it might relate to history more widely at any given point in the random last hundred and you know um, 150 odd years since the the dawn of professional football in the game now whether this idea works or not i don't know do do give me some feedback if if you like it this is going to be more wide than the Achtung Millwall shows um if it works and if if i enjoy doing it i may expand it to be a separate podcast in its own right so you're very much going to be my my guinea pig, dear listeners, so I hope you, you do enjoy it. The random date that um, the random.org has come up with is January the 6th, 1986, on this day in 1986. So within um, my lifetime, within many of your lifetimes too, I dare say. So I'm looking at a copy of the Daily Mirror, um, dated January the 6th, 1986, forward with Britain. Uh, this time it's just billing itself as the mirror, not the daily mirror, the, the mirror. Um, 18p, that's how much they used to cost back in those days. Front page news is the same as back page on this particular occasion. It's Alex Hurricane Higgins, um, master snooker player, um, genius of, of the Green Bays. But his front page and his, and his back page news on this particular day in 86 um who potted alex is the banner headline i fell off a horse says hurricane 
Oh, no, he didn't, says his girl. There's a picture of Alex Higgins with a, a black on there, um, looking suitably, um, you know, skewed with on the front page. It's, it's basically a story of <laughs> alcohol and domestic, um, a fracas, an alcoholically driven domestic fracas with an ex-wife and a current girlfriend and a black eye and a son. Um, Storyline by Alex to the effect that he fell off a horse run. I imagine he's got involved in a brawl or something of that kind in a in a pub. Who potted Alex? Says the the Daily Mirror's headline. Um, Higgins, like so many so many figures of the eighties, I'm just looking at Princess Diana underneath the the Alex Higgins. Quite a strange juxtaposition. Dies Queen of the Flowers is the story. The, the story being that Princess Diana was outshining the queen. So there's two um, figures crucified, if you like, by the media. Or did they play to the media and get themselves nailed to their respective fates? I don't know, dear listeners. But the point of this show is to talk to you through the prism of football. So I'm looking at the back page. And as we've said, front and back page news is Alex Higgins. He features on a splash on the front. And Alex is such a shiner, it says, because he played um, Terry, Dennis Taylor, forgive me, Dennis Taylor in a tournament in Warrington with a black eye, um, which not even TV makeup could, could particularly mask. Now, the banner headline on the back page is a win for West Ham, beating Charlton in the FA Cup, the 1985-86 FA Cup. This would be a third round uh, live TV, it's on live, it's on live. This is a difference in, in times. Um, Frank McAvenny is the is the goal scorer. Mac, a TV hit at the Palace. So I'll just read you the, the report for you. It's Charlton nil, West Ham 1. Frank McAvenny wrote the inevitable conclusion to the big television switch on yesterday. This is when live TV was still a, a novelty, dear listeners. Um, just one minute remained of an enthralling FA Cup third round tie. And the BBC's gamble of giving a nationwide audience their first look at McAvenny and Tony Cotty seemed to be ending in the big shutout. Uh, Charlton from the promotion region of the second division had boosted their bid to bring increased support to their new home at Selhurst Park. Charlton playing at Selhurst Park at this point. The valley had fallen into disrepair, of course. Um, McAvenny and Cotty are something else. And with seconds rather than minutes to go, Charlton fullback John Humphreys Sliced deflection let in McAvenny. It was like showing a hungry dog a bone as he raced forward, lobbed cleverly, and the ball was only two yards short of the line when Cotty arrowed in to finish a neat demolition job. So that was West Ham winning at, at Selhurst Park um, versus Charlton. Um, the the 85 86 FA Cup tournament will go on to be won in the end by Liverpool in the famous Merseyside. Um, or Merseyside Cup final, Liverpool 3, Everton 1 in May of 86. West Ham will go on to the, the quarterfinals. The Lions, of course, will go out in the fifth round at Luton. Um, West Ham will progress on to the quarterfinals where they will um, exit the competition at Hillsborough. 2-1 to, uh, to Sheffield Wednesday. That was on the 12th of March, 1986. McAvenny's career was quite... Um, Sprawling, I suppose, uh, came from St Mirren, spell at West Ham in 85 to 86, the period of this particular game that we're talking about today. Um, 85 appearances and 33 goals for the Hams, that's quite a strike rate, isn't it? 
Celtic returned to Scotland for another good strike rate up there. 55 appearances and 27 goals north of the border. Uh, and then back to West Ham again, 68 games, 16 goals. Starting to fade a little bit, 89 to 92. And then a selection of um, various clubs, Aston Villa, Cliftonville. Um, just a question mark against his spell of the South China. That's a great name for a football club, South China. But, um, South China, Celtic, Swindon. Falkirk and St Mirren, Scottish International, Scottish uh, under-21, full full cap, and a Scottish B. Um, a dangerous striker, Frank McAvenny, obviously playing for Mill's blood enemies in West Ham. Uh, Blomperm, if I, if I remember rightly. Lifestyle. Well, during his playing career, McAvenny reputedly enjoyed a playboy lifestyle. Wow, says Wikipedia. Allegedly, I'm going to put in the word allegedly, that Wikipedia says it involves drink, drugs and womanising. I, I, I have no direct evidence of that myself. It may well be so. His lifestyle was the inspiration for the parody ca- character played by Jonathan Watson in the Scottish comedy TV programme, Only an Excuse. Um, various um, shenanigans involving the supply of drugs um, are listed here. And a four-month suspended sentence for a fray. In nineteen in two thousand eight, for in which he headbutted a man in Douglas on the Isle of Man. So there we are, um, the Daily Mirror, nineteen eighty six. It seems so close, and yet it's what 30, 34 years ago. Come up thirty five years ago, um, a lifetime ago. On the inside pages, just out of interest, we have a report on page two of Margaret Thatcher's government going through the turmoil of the Westland helicopter. Um, uh, scandal, what do you want to call that? Con- controversy. Uh, Michael Heseltine, picture of Tarzan, as he was known. Um, he's still around. You still sometimes see him popping up on Sky TV, particularly during the Brexit um, you know, process. Um, Defence Secretary Michael Heseltine was still fighting to the finish last night, it says, as America's Sikorsky helicopter firm seems set to win control of Westland helicopters with an improved offer. This was a huge, huge crack down the middle of the of the Thatcher government at this point and it re- revolved around home control of Westland in British control or as Margaret Thatcher's rule of the market would have it being sold off to the American company Sikorsky and there he is Michael Heseltine still in power I think he would resign the cabinet famously um, it was all a lot of hoo-ha um, and I suppose in some ways the issues of home control of industry have never never really gone away, do they? As I said previously, everything changes and nothing changes. So there we are. That's the Daily Mirror dated the 5th of January 1986. Who potted Alex Higgins on the front page? A bit of a voyeuristic uh, front page where we all look on at the, um, the, the spectacle of Alex Higgins's private life and... Back page, Frank McAvenny live from His Majesty is the is the banner headline as West Ham go through at Cholton playing at Selhurst Park. So there we are. That's my experimental idea. I'm going to continue this. I'm going to see how this goes. Um, for a while, I'm going to put it out as, a, as an alternative show on the Acton Mill platform. And if, it, if I enjoy doing it, I'll carry on with it as a separate podcast entirely. So do let me know what you think. Um, I know it's not Millwall. Do let me know what you think, nevertheless, if it's got legs and if you liked it or not. So there we are. So till the next show, Arriva Dirty Achtung. <laughs> what else are you going to say?
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.